Welcome to Brain Pain, where we discuss everything psychology. I'm John, and as always, I want to remind you that I am not a therapist. I am not a psychologist. I'm just a guy with a master's in psychology working on his PsyD. Nothing I say here is meant to replace therapy. It's just a discussion. A lot of this is my opinion, and I want to make sure we're clear on that. And I'm always up for healthy discussion. If you have something you want me to talk about, if you have something you want to uh, say, you can either comment on the YouTube channel where this is sitting, or you can reach me at john, J-O-H-N, at brainpain.us. So before I start today's podcast, I've already done this podcast in its entirety. The problem was, is I filmed this podcast so that I also post it on YouTube. For those of you listening, for you watching it on YouTube, you obviously know. But um, <clears throat> I forgot to hit record on the camera. So this is my take two. And I think it might be better anyway because I was struggling with wording a couple of ideas and I had to take a minute to figure out how I wanted to say a few things. Now, originally, this was going to be about um, brain function, and I will go deeper into brain function in a future podcast. However, I went down the rabbit hole of brain development this week, and so that's what I'm going to talk about. <clears throat> I know I've talked about it before. I, I know that if you've listened to this, you've heard me say the brain isn't fully developed until you're around the age of 25. There is a ton of study on brain development. There is a ton of uh, information available in this particular podcast. I am not going to cite specific articles because I've read so many. Um, I'm not going to cite a specific article because there's so many of them that I've read. And, and they all say mostly the same things. But I would encourage you to go... Uh, Pull up your favorite search engine and go look this stuff up yourself. It's all over. It's it's ton of it is available for free. So brain development. Um, there are three major brain structures in the world of people who study brains. The forebrain, the midbrain, and the hindbrain. Very simple. However, if we'd actually look at it, to me it was a surprise because I would think that that would, would go front to back if someone was sitting like I am now and it would start at the front of the brain and go back. It does not. Uh, the forebrain is at the top of your skull and it create, and it holds the uh, cerebellum, which is the largest mass of your brain. The midbrain and the hindbrain are vertically, if you're sitting up, it's vertically. The midbrain's below the uh forebrain and it is above the hindbrain and the, of course at the very bottom and it connects into your spine as your hindbrain. So <clears throat> that was where I was going to start and I was going to break down all kinds of stuff in the brain and as I did so I started reading on development. 
and the average brain comes fully developed around the age of 25. Uh, the size of the brain reaches its max, you know, your full size in uh, adolescence, but it still has a lot of development to do. The prefrontal cortex doesn't really fully develop till sometime in your 20s. For some people, that goes on until their 30s. There's no magic, like, day where we just flip the switch and we're fully developed. And some will say because we can continue to learn that we're never fully developed, and I, I understand that aspect, but, but what we're talking about here is not necessarily development of the person, but where the brain reaches the state where it's going to be for, I mean, identifiably for the rest of your life. And that is somewhere between 20 and 30, typically. For me, that was a big thing because I don't think, I honestly, looking back, and I've said this before, before I had read about this, that I really wasn't ready for, you know, I really wasn't developed and ready to go until I was 30. Now, I had a career and I had a lot of things going on, but I just wasn't ready for some of the aspects of life until I was 30. I, I just, for me, I would say that I probably was not, my brain was not fully developed until I was at least 30. Just, um, especially the prefrontal cortex. So let's talk about what the prefrontal cortex uh, is connected to. We know that emotion regulation, impulse control, um, long-range planning, which involves uh, risk assessment, that's all part of the prefrontal cortex. And that's not fully developed until you're somewhere in your 20s to 30s. And as such... Uh, like I said, there's no switch. It's just something that happens gradually and improves. So while it may keep developing, at some point it hits a, a point where we call it fully developed. But for me, I, I, I'm pretty sure that was in my 30s. I'm very certain that that was in my 30s. Anecdotal, yes, but that's just a personal opinion, looking at my life as it was. This brings up the thought of with a lack of impulse, you know, impulse control and emotional regulation, not being fully developed till you're in your, you know, 20s and 30s. We've got people who are, you know, in their 17, 18, 19-year-olds in prison who are going to spend most of their life or their entire life in prison based on things they did before their brain was fully developed. That brings up a pretty big moral ethics kind of question. But... It's one that nobody really talks about too much in public forums. Because then it changes a lot of things. It's how we recruit our military, which I've talked about before in this podcast. We recruit straight out of high school because there's still enough room for development that we can turn um, our young men into great soldiers and sailors. And, and for me, having been in the Navy, I have to say it was good for me. It really helped me with that um, impulse control and emotion regulation. It helped me develop uh, self-discipline. So it was good for me uh, in the long run. I mean, fighting the Gulf War kind of sucked, but, um, but that, that structure and that regulation mattered. The prefrontal cortex, like I said, the fact that uh, risk assessment and um, impulse control are part of that development really makes me wonder if we should, how much we should listen to our uh, financial advisors when they're under 30, right? <laughs> because 
that's all part of that. Now, again, that this idea of it being an average of 25, that means that some people do develop all of that stuff sooner. But uh, it also means that a lot of people develop it later. So anyway, uh, the cerebellum is another one. And it, it develops mostly in um, our teen years. That's where most of that development happens. But it is significantly impacted by, um, by our environment. Now, anyone who has talked to me for any length of time on the subject of development has heard me talk about epigenetics, which is the concept of, for a long time, we had the argument of nurture or nature. Well, epigenetics is nurture and nature. So it's whatever you've got with DNA combined with your environment and how that DNA will express in a given environment. <clears throat> the prefrontal cortex is more nature than nurture, but not, it, it's not, it, it does, you don't live in a vacuum. So it's both, but it is more nature than nurture. Whereas the cerebellum is very much um, nature or excuse me, yeah, nurture over nature. So the environment makes a big difference. And this has been seen in uh, twin studies. The twins that are separated, there are certain parts uh, of what they do that are very similar, but their environments can make them very different people. I also thought it was interesting that if you compared a set of identical twins and a set of non-identical twins, that the uh, cerebellum is is no more alike in the identical twins than it is in the non-identical twins, which means this is part of what allows us to adapt to our environment. And we know that in the cerebellum, it's very much involved in cognitive processes. Uh, cognitive processes I've started referring to as the magic of the brain. This is because when we try to tie cognitive processes to any part of the brain, it is very difficult to do so. It's very difficult to say this part of the brain deals with that cognitive process. We can track motor skills, we can track speech skills, but those cognitive skills, which make us who we are, are kind of a, it's like the ghost in the machine is how I've seen it so far, at least in the, in the studies I've seen and the information I have access to. The brain is still, in many ways, a mystery. We when I say, you know, we can't track how you decide that you like green instead of red by watching, by, by looking at activity in the brain. Um, for whatever reason, when you're in a green room, you have more serotonin or more dopamine released in your system. But that doesn't tell us why that is, right? So there's some, some magic still in the brain which, you know, I kind of like there being a little bit of magic. But the other thing that that tells us is the cerebellum developing in an environment why those teenage traumas um, and, you know, adolescent traumas, why they cause so many problems later in life. For people who are abused as children, in any form, um, for children who went, you know, without for, for, and, and let's, let's talk about this too. Let's just be candid, bad nutrition. 
um, all of that can really play into the development of that brain. It takes that much time to develop. What use is that knowledge? And I've often said that I think knowledge is, is like um, power. In and of itself, it's not bad or good. It's what people do with it that matters. So we've, militaries have taken this knowledge and said, hey, we want to recruit between the ages, uh, ideally, of you know, 17 and 25. That way we can build the soldiers, the sailors, the airmen that we, we want, that we know will work best. We walk, though, in the United States at least, we walk a, a difficult path, morally and ethically. We have a lot of people who are, who are in prison for things they've done at the ages of 17, 18, 19, um, and they'll spend, you know, their life in prison, or the majority of it. That's a tough one for me, right? Because I believe that you need to be held responsible for your actions. I believe that if you've done something horrific, um, even if you're 17 or 18, even if your brain's not fully developed, there really has to be some consequence to that. I mean, if we go into Chicago right now and we look at the real situations that, you know, if you read the statistics, and I'm just going off of what is publicly available, there are a lot of murders in Chicago, a lot of violence. And a lot of that violence is being done by people under the age of 30. If we know that an individual took another person's life at that age, what do we do? How do we judge what that is? What, what the consequences of that should be. I mean, the idea is that you remove people who are dangerous to society from society. That's, that's where the original idea of prisons came from. And I struggle, I struggle with our prison system in the United States for a number of reasons. Number one, I personally do not believe that military or prison systems should ever be privatized. And in the U.S., there are a number of private prisons which, as you can imagine, could lead to, I'm not saying it is, I'm simply saying it could lead to a lot of problems with corruption and mistreatment of people in their care. Now, I also don't believe that prison should be a great time. I think prison should be exactly, you know, it should work on rehab, and for those who refuse to rehab, it should be a punishment. But I think there should be an option for real, re, real rehabilitation. Well, that becomes difficult, right? Because then that means that for some people, we're watching people go to prison and get college educations. But we're watching veterans struggle to get a college education, even with the GI Bill. Um, GI Bill is actually a lot better than it was in my day. Uh, so it, it should be easier to, to use that for uh, education. But we also have people who are just poor in the United States who work very hard, who are having trouble getting an education that they want. But if you were in prison, you can get a lot of education. And so people justifiably have some, take some issue with that. But at the same time, 
if the people in prison are a threat to society and we want them to be uh, productive uh, citizens, if that's what we want, if we want rehab, then we have to make sure that we look at that in the right light. That the education that they get is to help them not be a danger to society, to not be a problem in society. That won't solve all of the issues. That won't solve all the problems. But this comes back to, again, we we have these 17, 18, 19-year-olds in prison because they were a product of their environment? Absolutely. How do we fix that? Man, that is a complex question. But as we know, the cerebellum is affected greatly by the environment. Having somebody who's still developing in their 20s in a prison environment, at least the ones that we've seen in, in documentaries, doesn't seem like it's going to make them much better for society, does it? And there's a lot of other ethical questions when we get into the prisons that we could go into, but I'm trying to stick to the brain here. <laughs> the other thing is, you know, without a fully uh, developed brain, by our standards and definitions, you know, there's ethical questions of sending people into combat. When you say it that way, it's kind of removed from the reality of humanity. Because the reality of humanity is <clears throat> that whenever we've felt a need to fight whatever for whatever reason, it's the young and physically capable that go fight. Right? There are people who are absolutely capable in their 30s to fight in war and combat, but they're not as physically um, adaptable as they are in their you know, late teens and early 20s. So that's just the reality if you look at it historically or just from the basis of human history, right? Anthropology. Those are just some thoughts, right? It, like I said, I don't have um, necessarily the perfect answer for any of that. So when it comes to military, I, um, I think that's just the reality that has been with mankind for a long time. When it comes to prisons, I think uh, the U.S. has a lot of room for improvement. And, I mean, in my opinion, when it comes to this, I think that uh, prisons, prisons have become a place where people with mental illness go. So I think that we would be better suited in America to invest some of the money we spend on prisons in mental health care facilities. So I, I do believe that we should really invest in our mental health care infrastructure in the United States. The problem is it's expensive. Now, the real reason that's a problem in the United States is because to fund it, in my opinion, you would need to get rid of all the um, pet projects of Congress, the things where we're, we're paying for studies that are ridiculous. If you go dig into the U.S. budget and you find out what we're paying for, all the stupid things that we're paying for, all the things that slip through the cracks because they're less than so many millions of dollars. And there's a lot of this that goes on and you can't call it corruption because it, it's all done legally. But yeah, that's, but I'm a big supporter of, of mental health facilities as opposed to just throwing everybody in prison. 
Um, I had some stuff here that talked about, I had some notes about how the brain actually functions as far as sending signals and how we use uh, medication to to interfere with that or to change how it works. But um, I think we'll save that for another podcast. I, uh, I think that that really the, the idea of, of what are we doing, <clears throat> at least in the United States, what are we doing with our prisons, what are we doing with rehab? I just had a big chunk of dialogue that I'm going to remove from the podcast because it got way down a rabbit hole. What I do want to say is that for my friends in Europe and uh, New Zealand and Australia and uh, even Africa, who I know have downloaded this podcast, sometimes it's hard to understand the way the United States works, and even some Canadians struggle with this, um, because we're set up so that our states have rights and um, certain laws the federal government can't pass. And this is both a good thing and a bad thing, uh, like anything else, it's pros and cons. But what it means is it's very difficult to set up a federal, uh, federally run health, mental health care system. So what they can do is they can, the federal government can supply money with terms that it's used for mental health care to the states, individual states. But um, it's expensive. People don't like to see that expense for mental health, right? But they don't blink twice when they see it for prisons. And so, and it's because of perception. It's because of bad marketing. Uh, prisons, we're keeping you safe by keeping criminals off the street, which is important, but um, but it doesn't address the fact that a lot of people are going to prison because they have mental health issues that would be cheaper to treat if we had a mental health care system, but you know that was in place that was really robust. Anyway, that's me down the rabbit hole. I'm going to uh, wrap this up and remind you that... Uh, I love you. Take care of yourself. Rock on. Have no fear.